They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Before I get into today's special guest, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, and Collaborating Online. I'd also like to thank my newest patrons, Chantel Sorrentino and Kevin Michael Hink. Today's show is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. Hosts and guests decide to fix a film whether it's a film that you really hated or a film that you liked that maybe could be done different they bring somebody on to regale them with how that film might be different and they laugh and give notes and edit like an editing room or a story room would be done in film school or just with a bunch of buddies hanging out and drinking and because nepotism is real in this world today's guest um is on the film rescue show sir introduce yourself so I'm Michael Spielman. I run Michael's Film Whatever for the segment on the Film Rescue Show. I'm the jerk in the middle episode of the Film Rescue Show, uh, in between the jerk in the, in the show itself. Uh, and then, of course, I'm also on the Film Rescue Show, usually for the nerd stuff, because that's what I'm good at. Uh, and I'm an amateur voice actor, amateur actor, and uh, the part-time streamer as well, because I have nothing else better to do with my life right now. Right, yeah, so to let people know when this is happening, we're recording this um, on the 17th, is it, of April 2020? Yep. We're mm-hmm. in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and I don't need this whole show to be about the negativity around that, but just so you know where <laughs> we're at. We both, we both have children, both of us have children with special needs, um, and all those children are at home, and so yeah. are we. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> fantastic nothing like trying to get four children to do schoolwork it's like pulling so, hair yeah. oh god yeah so so the point of this show uh, is you know like like the film rescue show and everything else particularly now is to give people you know an escape from that and hear two people talk about randomness so you you've got a lot of randomness going on let's talk about um how did how do you know seth and those guys and how did uh how did your segment come about and how, you know, just the film rescue show in general? Cause I've known Seth probably for 15 years, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but uh, we met when we started working at Best Buy together and uh, at Best Buy, you know, we would just talk randomly about anything because sometimes you have downtime in between and you just want to talk to someone and Seth and I kind of gravitate towards each other because we're both giant nerds who kind of appreciate culture in general whether it be music movies or tv or anything like that and um i think the big thing with the film rescue show and why it came about is because there are so many times i know seth would do this and i would do it with seth is we'd we'd watch films whether it be together or separately and then we'd be like you know what we could do this 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 and this and i think it would be better and i think that idea kept staying in seth's head because that's the way things are with seth and he just didn't let go, and then when he finally had the ability to, he's like, you know what? I'm going to turn this into something. I'm going to turn this into a podcast because I know this is a good idea because why wouldn't it be? And I'll tell you, it's taken off, especially this year. We've had a lot of success, and we were we were going to start doing our YouTube presence this year. But, you know, not being able to do that in person has kind of put me on the back end of that because I was going to be the one that started most of that. Right. But I'm a, I'm a gamer, too. Like way too giant. Like the back catalog probably is over seven hundred games in it, and I'll never play all of them. Yeah, uh, I feel the exact same way. I look back at my um, my big game buying years, and you know, the first of them was right around the end of PlayStation One, beginning of PlayStation Two, and then um, uh, Wii. The Wii. I bought way too many yeah. games in the Wii. <laughs> I, I knew so many people that did. Sometimes now I look back and just go, you know what? I never finished this. But because of Let's Plays, it's like, you know what? Now I can sit down and relax with a beer and watch someone else get frustrated over it. And it's great to just see how a game that I never finished ended that I really don't want to have to go back and break that thing out and, and finish it. So it's I've now seen all of the endings for Silent Hill 2, for example. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I was younger, 
I actually had time to play those video games because I didn't have kids. So I actually was able to like, you know, PS1 games like The Legend of Dragoon. I was able to beat oh, yeah. Cross and all the giant RPGs that were like my obsession, you know, the Sweet Coden series and all that. I was able to, I actually had the privilege to beat all those. And then I was like, oh, I didn't really saw that. And I went, uh, what's that again? I never played that. And then I played it and I went, this is terrifying. Why am I doing this to myself? I hate this already. But I did love that game. I did end up not beating it and doing exactly what you did, which I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have someone else do this for me because I'm never going to get to it. Right, exactly. Did um, did you ever play the Silent Hill game on the Wii? There's a Silent Hill game on the Wii, yeah. What? No, also, I mainly... Man, my Wii was a workout machine. Um, it was called uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories. I heard of that game. That's the game. Oh, I never played that one. I played Homecoming. I would, I would recommend finding a Let's Play or, or playing it if you had time because that game engrossed me. And it's... It, the, the, the idea they came up with was I think someone else within Konami had an idea for a similar game that wasn't 100% a Silent Hill game. And they rebranded it as... What if, you know, we kind of make the main character have the same name or look of the original guy from Silent Hill and have it be that he's looking for his missing daughter again. But the game, once you leave that, is a very different game. It's it's psychologically evaluating you as you play, which was really cool. And in between the little vignettes of gameplay, you go to like your face's point of view looking out at a doctor like evaluating you and asking you questions about like what went down in your life that got you there and you start realizing as you're playing that you may or may not be the same person in the psychiatrist's office that you're playing during the game it's very weird and it it has one hell of a cool twist ending but the coolest thing about it in the vein of something that changed the way silent hill worked is since it was on the Wii, they really did a great job with the motion controls, which you can't say about a lot of Wii games. Um, and it dropped into Silent Hill land. And as soon as it did that, it became a full-on survival horror game. This was not run around with a gun and kill the enemies. In fact, you have no weapons. You just have to escape. You have to get from point A to point B through a maze of insanity with the creatures chasing you around. And you have to hide and create barriers and stuff to get in their way. So you can run down a hall and you hear the thing like coming from behind you and you have to toss like cabinets down using the motion controls and stuff and it was awesome. Yeah. I probably will never play that. I don't like the horror games. For me, a horror, I hate most horror games because it can't last. I'll never last because you can't and I hate that because I know that if I was in that situation I would I would die fighting, and so I hate horror games where I can't fight back, and so I usually just watch them. So that one I might, that one I might have to find yeah, a let's play on and watch that. Story-wise, it's totally worth the watch because they, it, it just, it's very um, ambitious, let's say. And I was, I was taken by it. I was very surprised. Yes, I don't know. Hasn't had too many games that much. People are excited for Silent Hills. And I yeah, played I mean, that PT demo and, you know, somehow got through that. Ugh, ugh. That's creepy. terrifying. Ugh. Yeah, Silent uh, Hills, man, those those games always were, like, to me at times, I looked at those games like, no, I'm not into that. That's way too terrifying. Like, I would put, Res- I would put Resident Evil not as a scary game. I would say Silent Hills is a scary game. The game is terrifying. It sucks that Konami didn't able make one in a long time because those games would be so cool right now. Wouldn't they? God. Today's technology? Oh my goodness. I, I love I love a good scary game, but I you know I need I, I'm bummed out that uh that your internet dropped out because you've been uh you made it through Final Fantasy seven remake. So I, I wanted to give you a chance to gush about that a little bit. Uh yeah I kept trying to reset everything, and I have to get a separate capture device. That's what it's going to end up coming down to, is I have to recapture 
um, from an Elgato, which I have coming to me now. But yeah, that game, man, wow, that is not what I was expecting from this game. Um, it, it's it's very self aware of itself. And do you remember the Star Trek remake? Yes. An alternate timeline. Yes. Okay. This kind of has a, a twist like that. Oh, cool. It's nuts. Where it's like Sephiroth kind of figured out that he was going to die at the end of this timeline. And so he starts fucking with it. Oh, I love that. Because I, I like something that's a, it's a remake, but it's also... So if someone plays it cold, which... More power to them if you get to experience this for the first time from this game because wow. But if you if you're a fan, it has all that much more to give you. And that mm-hmm. that's actually what I loved about that Star Trek um redo was that it it was both a new version of it, but also just complete fan service all at the same time. I yep. loved that. That's pretty much what this is, is it's it's kind of this great fan service and uh new and and yeah, all, all you know is that you have to stop Sephiroth, but you don't know how that's going to happen now, being that fate has been changed. And so, who knows what's going to happen going forward? But man, did that game that game left an impression, and I think it's going to change a lot of people's outlook on things like RPGs going forward because Square has been trying for see since Final Fantasy XII came out. To figure out a way to make combat less more interesting. And 12 was fine. 13 was okay. 15 was closer. But I think this finally nailed what they have been trying to do with, with, with going from turn based to this. It is so interactive, so much fun. And it's very fast paced if you do it correctly and you feel like an absolute badass if you're able to, to work it and look at your screen correctly and manage everyone's output you can be super super uh, fast like my wife was confused at times because I would pull up the menu do, a, do an ability come back out pull back pull in pull in and it was just so fast and responsive with the way that it controls that she just she wasn't even able to keep up she goes I don't know what you're doing I'm like I'm like, it's just this game. This game makes makes you understand it or it's going to destroy you. Wow. I just I can't wait to get my hands on this thing. It's worth it's worth uh, let me tell you, I, I keep seeing that it's, that its physical copies are sold out and that it's got over two point three million active players. And that makes me happy because if you're one of those people who has been like on the fence of an RPG or you've never been into an RPG, this is the RPG to get into because it's so different. It's like a hybrid of futuristic and punk cyberpunk. It's 34 different wrapped into one game. It is so unique in its presentation and the way that it 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 becomes itself. And yeah, there's a lot of confusion, but it is considered part one of probably at least three parts. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that you're not going to understand. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you know, coming at the, uh, the film rescue thing from, you know, being a super nerd like me and like Seth and everyone did, um, you know, did video games being able to be like more fleshed out story wise, you know, I found a lot of games have definitely, um, influenced movies and movies have definitely influenced games and i'd say particularly at the advent of playstation one games like like final fantasy 7 metal gear solid parasite eve silent hill games that were far more cinematic than they had been before do you feel like um being able to have like a 30 40 hour thing and that being kind of what your brain is used to having at work has kind of helped be able to analyze film in a way of like, oh man, if I only could do this instead of that, you know, obviously the polar opposite of the people who were making um, Serenity, for example. <laughs> uh, it can. And for me, like, you know, the, the thing about video games is there there's large troughs of these games where all you're doing is some of them is very mindless. You have to be able to turn your mind off and just focus on that. 
but you also have to know when it's time to pay attention to the story. And I think being able to to play video games that are long. I mean, Persona Five is a hundred hours long, and I'm about halfway through that. You know, there oh, there are so man. many games that I have played that are gigantic in size. Sleeping Two took me two hundred fifty hours when they came back when they came out. This giant and and. First off, I think it's harder to make a video game sometimes than a movie because you have to try to make it interesting, impactful, and engaging for more than two hours, which is very difficult because some people's attention span doesn't even last a whole movie. Um, right. I think the thing that I tell a lot of people who want to films is you cannot critique off of your first watch. I watch a film probably on average five times before I fully start critiquing it because I like going into movies and just being excited. I went into Endgame the first time and I was excited to see it. I went into it a second time and then I started to pick holes at it. I went into it yep. a third time and again just kept trying to, you know, kept trying to take something out of it. And you can't watch a movie once and get everything you can from it. That's a John Wick to and discover the patterns and there are so many patterns and uh, you know film film is meant to be appreciated analyzed and um critiqued because the only way you're going to get better at anything is if you find what you did wrong you know i don't think sam mendez is over there just saying all right well 1917 is the best thing i've ever done never gonna do anything ever again he's probably trying to figure out ways that he can up 1917 different things to make that film, and that's crazy because that movie is perfection to me. And I think that's what makes the entertainment industry so fascinating. Is I would consider Final Fantasy VII a great game, but I would never consider it perfect. I don't consider any game perfect. You know, even The Witcher Three has its moments. You know, everyone wants to call that the greatest game ever made. And I think the thing about nothing ever perfect. Yeah. Right, grail of perfect reach. So there's always something to achieve. Now Leonardo DiCaprio, who is probably one of the greatest actors of all time, still tries to do better than what he's done before, and the guy still continues to succeed. That is the definition of this industry that we are trying to be a part of. Is we can always do better, and I love that. I love that, and I think that that's what makes it. And I'll watch crappy movies too. I I don't want anyone to think I'm a movie snob. One of my favorite movies of all time was is uh, Doom Annihilation. <laughs> Woohoo! That movie is not bad. I'm shocked. I, I sat through I just recently I sat through all three Escape Plan movies, all four Jarhead movies, and I think all four Death Race movies. I think there's four. I might have combined two, so I thought there was five, but I think there's four. It's just like sometimes you just need to watch some of the garbage that's out there because sometimes. It might be straight to DVD, and you might think it's garbage, but uh, I've said this before. Final Fantasy VII Advent Children was a straight-to-DVD movie, and that thing's incredible. Yes, it is. Um, wow. don't, un don't underestimate the power of a straight-to-DVD movie. You might be shocked as to what, what, what you get out of it and who you might discover in those movies. Yeah, dude, it's insane. I, I mean, um, I'm trying to think back. You know, a lot of them back from my time at blockbuster but there were there was a mountain of straight to, in fact hell the boondock saints was a straight yep. to dvd movie straight in the DVD. united states yep what was the, the next the one you said six scorpion king movies that they've made yep and, and there's there's good stuff too. there there is and, and that's the cool thing is if you want to try if you're trying to become a filmmaker or trying to become an actor just watching the best of the best isn't going to do you any good. You have to see what it's like on the low end of the spectrum because you're not going to get hired as an actor and be making millions of dollars right away. You're going to have to start out either like me. We, you know, we do film festival stuff. I don't get paid for that stuff. I get to eat and, and drink. But, you know, you're on set for 15 hours and, you know, sometimes you only have one day to film because that's all that place will allow you to do it for free. And so, you know, you got to memorize your lines, you're coming in, you're doing your stuff, and sometimes you mess up. And, you know, having, having a basis of where you want to go with, with yourself and with your career, especially if you want to do this industry, 
is is the best part of it because there's always something for you to do and something for you to try to improve on. And if you keep yourself only watching movies like 1917 or Parasite or you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, looking at these, you're never going to understand what it's like to just be in a movie. So watching the B level movies, your C level movies, don't watch Hallmark movies. Those are bad. Yeah. You're, well. You find, <laughs> you find, you find out that, you know, Billy Zane still is making movies. He's just not on the big screen as much anymore. And you can see that he's still a good actor. He just doesn't want to deal with the rat race. And that's the thing about it. Tom Sizemore still makes movies. Tom Berenger still makes movies, but they don't want to deal with the rat race anymore, so they make lesser lesser known movies. Well, I think Tom Sizemore got in trouble for something, but yes, Tom Berenger, did. I know. Tom Berenger, yeah. Tom Berenger makes make, like the snipe. Was it Sniper? Was that his movie franchise? He yep. made like eight of those things. Sometimes you just make a movie because you like you like the character, and you're just like, screw it, I don't care if it's straight to DVD. You're just making movies because that's what you love to do. Yeah. I mean, and you bring up Billy Zane. I mean, I- I'm hard pressed. It was way before its time, but holy shit! If the Phantom wasn't an awesome little superhero, oh, yes, and everyone God, forgets that's... it. And the problem with the Phantom that people had is that the Phantom was a, it's a very old fashioned story, and it was a very old fashioned movie. And that movie yeah. had Billy Zane and Treat Williams in it. That was a good movie. God, I love Billy Zane. I was a Do big Billy Zane guy. The the fan the Phantom was it was the film version of the DC superhero TV shows. It was tongue in cheek and cheesy yeah. and over the top and just wonderful, and no one remembers it. But but Billy Zane yeah. and I think it's because it hit at that time right after Tim Burton released his darker Batman, and now everyone's craving these darker bat these darker comic book movies because Marvel wasn't doing anything good at that time, and we're not going to talk about nope. their ninety stuff. Nope. So, you know, DC was killing it. They had Batman, the animated series, killing it. Superman, the animated series, killing it. And so they had this darker presence of Batman that had boosted their comic book sales to to new levels because Frank Miller came in and said, you know, what if we made Batman darker? And no one thought about that before 1983. And then he destroyed everything uh, about cheesy, cheeky Batman. And then you come in with this movie about the Phantom, and it is that cheesy, cheeky homage to to Silver Age uh, comics, and it just everyone's like, no, I don't want that. And it's like, no, it's good. It's just Silver Age. If that would have came out now, God, that movie would have done so well. Both the Rocketeer and the Phantom were hurt by that. And I don't know if you know this. uh, My daughter started watching it. Disney has a Rocketeer TV show. What? It's a it's a little girl who inherits the Rocketeer backpack. I'm assuming from the guy in the original movie, yes. and she uses it to help her small town. And it is awesome. It oh, ca- it's it, I'm really surprised. Like, I'm like, all right, this is going to be a stupid cash grab. And then I watched it, and I'm like, this is wonderful. I pretty much feel that a lot about Disney sometimes, because especially with oh man, especially with watching Onward recently. That movie, oh. that movie upset me. That movie upset me so bad. <laughs> I haven't seen uh, it yet. It's a Disney movie disguised as a Pixar movie. Oh, well, if you understand both of them, you understand exactly. I've had I said that to so many people, and they're like, "I get what you're talking about." I'm like, yeah, it's a Disney movie that has the Pixar logo on it, which is well. Sad. That's actually how I felt about Wreck It Ralph was that it was a Pixar movie disguised as, as a Disney movie. Yeah. It, it was far too intelligent for its own good. Yeah. I, I will I will give the <laughs> I think it's because I also saw the emoji movie. So I saw both oh. ends of this terrible internet spectrum. And oh. I actually appreciated Wreck It Ralph for that. <laughs> I was like, wow. No, I, I I actually love both Wreck It Ralph movies and I didn't expect to like the second one, but oh, it's just it was amazing to see Disney operate at a Pixar level like that. I mean, granted, you know, it's all shared resources at this point, but it's it's the way the story is presented. So I think I get exactly what you're saying with um yeah. with uh onward. I just haven't seen it yet. Um and it's like Frozen One. Frozen One at times felt like a very Pixar movie. Like yeah. there are some really dark parts of that movie. And then you go into this because my 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 daughter's obsessed with Frozen. And I'm like, all right, well, let's watch the second one. And this thing is a pile of absolute trash. There is a rock opera 
80s ballad music video smack dab in the middle of this movie. I wish yeah, I was joking. Somebody what? from the Long Island just decided to make a Frozen movie. That, that's what I got from <laughs> It was nuts. I'm watching this movie, and then all of a sudden this 80s rock ballad starts, and I'm like, what is... What is hat? Did you change the channel? There's something happening. What? Why is this? Do- okay, then I guess we're going down this path, and then it just it's, sucks. It's weird because because Frozen One is trying to so much be the antithesis of you know the pop culture way that a lot of these you know, Frozen One has almost no pop culture references in it. I think Olaf might be the only one that throws out any. And that's yep. just because that's the type of character it is. But this Frozen 2, like, Deadpooled itself a lot. Um, yep. And I I guess there's a place for that. I mean, I liked some of the darker stuff in the second Frozen movie a lot. The movie just doesn't really know what it is, is the problem. It yep. seems like there were a lot of rewrites that went through. Um, which is crazy, because Frozen 1 is one of the most rewritten damn things in the history of Disney. I guess like nine months before release, they didn't even know the script yet, which is yep. nuts. But, um, you know, Frozen 2 feels more like a Shrek movie. Yes. And that's yes. a bummer because even the first Shrek was a better Disney movie than what Disney was making at the time Shrek came out. So it's just a weird mix of strangeness. Yeah, Disney's um, in a weird place right now. I think a lot of people consider them the villain of everything, but yet they let marvel do the same trash movie that they've done it people confuse me especially online because you know they bash on they bash on disney for this bash on disney for that but then you know the next movie comes out from marvel and they're like oh my god it's gonna be so good i'm like no let's objectively look at these trailers and see where there's a there's jumps in logic it's like black widow i was adamantly against this movie for so long and it's because all the trailers made it seem like she is actively in the middle of this war I'm like, isn't she supposed to be in hiding? What is going on? But yeah. then the last, the most, the last trailer they released for that film kind of put some logic to it. I'm like, okay, there's some logic here. Please don't freaking kill Taskmaster because he's one of your best goddamn rogues. Of all of your rogues, Taskmaster is one of your best. Please stop killing your, please stop killing your villains. D- Disney has this weird thing going on with themselves right now where they're, and and this started affecting the Marvel stuff, even though I, for the most part, really like the Marvel movies, despite the, the sameness between a lot of them, is that they're almost at odds with the brilliant people they're they're getting to make their movies. Yep. Like it's it's all it, it reminded me like like Disney with The Last Jedi and, and Lucasfilm, they went all in on letting that movie bill itself as being something different. And then got scared when different. Oh, good though. Yeah. And it made a billion dollars. Objectively, to me, is probably the second best Star Wars movie. And it's so good. But they're still so at odds with that because, like, so many people got angry at them that had no bearing over that movie's success that it's like, okay, well, our ad campaigns need to be different. And what bummed me out, and I, I don't outwardly hate, um, the most recent Star Wars movie, even though it undoes a lot of the cool stuff that The Last Jedi had. But yeah. even that movie was 50% Star Wars trailer of the movie. Yeah. And then rest of the movie, you know, had some kind of cool ideas in it. But they let the film be at odds with itself instead of with yeah. the Marvel movies, where most of the time it just seems like the ad campaign is at yes. odds with the movie. Not the movie. Because think about it this way. Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok was not billed to be the movie that it was. No, it was not. And it's so much better because of that. They were billing as more Thor. And then you got there and you went, not only is this more Thor, but it is also way, way more over the top and colorful and insane than even we allowed James Gunn to be. Oh, shit. And and it was divisive, yet still made a shitload of money. I love love that Thor Ragnarok. God, I'm so excited to see what he does next. Me too, and I'm God. I gotta tell you, because we weren't doing April Fool's Day this year as a collective internet, mm-hmm. someone released an April Fool's joke that Taika Waititi got removed, and it was so close to Scott Derrickson dropping out of um, 
the uh, second strange too. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh no, no, not Taika too. And then I went, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's April fool's day. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready for Sam Raimi's doctor strange too. I, you know, I Yay. love, Scott I love Scott Derrickson. I, I actually really liked Doctor Strange, even though it's got it's got issues. But I think Scott Derrickson is an interesting guy, and I, I him and his writing partner, um, uh, C. Robert Cardinal, who was Massaworm on Ain't It yeah. Cool News, they they did uh, one of my favorites of this weird like Conjuring type horror movies in Sinister. I love I Sinister. love Sinister. And love Sinister, Sinister is such a nasty fucking movie, and yeah. I. Um, and so Doctor Strange, when you could tell it was Scott firing on all cylinders, Doctor Strange was awesome. Yeah, um, you can tell Disney but, got involved. You can tell. Uh, you can tell that movie was supposed to be way more serious. I'm excited for a Sam Raimi Doctor Strange movie, even though I worry. Well, like a lot of people are worried because they go, well, look at what he did with Spider-Man 3. Do people forget that Spider-Man 3 was made under duress? I don't think people understand the full story of Spider-Man 3, and that is that um, Avi, was it Avi Shankar, I believe was the guy's yeah. name, something like that, Avi was yeah, something what... like that. He was forced to do these. They were like, no, we're not doing this. No, I think we're good. We don't want to do Venom. We want to do Sandman. I can't remember who the, the second one was supposed to be. But they're like, no, we don't want to do Venom. We, we, we understand that you want us to do Venom, but we're not going to do Venom. And Sony forced it down their throats that they yep. had to do Venom, which is why, uh, you know, let's bring it up. The miscast. Topher Grace is, is, is Eddie Brock. Yes, it's a miscast on purpose because that's not what Raimi wanted. Eddie Brock, uh, Topher Grace was cast as the other rogue. I can't remember yes. the name of it. I forget and who he was it was, but he would have been awesome. That person. And then they were like, well, we already have him sign the contract, so I guess now he's Eddie Brock. So I think that's the problem with that movie. Like, I I personally look at those Spider-Man movies, and I can't like them because of Tobey Maguire. He is not, not a good Peter Parker. It's interesting because I I feel that, and again, this, this could be just coming from me, I feel a lot of people's outward hate for Tobey Maguire in those movies comes mostly from Spider-Man 3. And I'm not saying that's where yours comes from, but him and Raimi and Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, outwardly they were firebombing that movie. Like, I remember Raimi coming on and going, well, we're now celebrating the success of Spider-Man 2 being the number one movie in the world by being forced to sit in our hotel room and write a script for Spider-Man 3. And then the next day he said, yeah, we wrote a script in a night enjoy yeah for me you know? for me it's just he's not spider-man he, he he's no. he's a, he's a fine peter parker but he's just not uh dickish enough and childlike God. enough to be pete to be spider-man he just is it pithy. i think raimi made the most wonderful looking spider-man films yep like if if you if i think about spider-man i either think of the spider-man cartoon or yep. those movies Right, they have that cheek, that that Spider-Man camp cheek, and oh my gosh, and everyone's perfectly freaking cast in Spider-Man One and Two. Even though the Amazing Spider-Man movies make me so goddamn angry, that Spider-Man was freaking perfect. perfect. Yep, and they're very comic booky too. That Amazing Spider-Man arc, like I'm okay with that first one. That second one goes ridiculous levels. I don't understand what that second one was supposed to be doing. That first one sets up some really cool stuff, and I knew where I, I was like, all right, you did this correctly. You did Gwen Stacy. All right, are you going to have the balls to kill her? I appreciated that they had the balls to kill her. What I yeah. don't appreciate is that was the only positive thing I could say about that movie. But, uh, well, Dane DeHane killed it in his role. I think Dane DeHane was fantastic. That, um, that guy has that guy has a Leonardo DiCaprio second half of his career coming to him, and I don't mean it because yeah. they look similar. I mean it because he's awesome. You could <laughs> you could see it in Chronicle. Chronicle. You could see that dude can act. Did you see and, a cure for wellness? Yes. Oh my gosh, Holy he killed shit. it in that movie. <laughs> and then my favorite part is my favorite thing about Dane DeHane is he has done a movie where he just phoned it in just because he wanted a paycheck, and it's a Valerian. Yep. And it's and absolutely hilarious. 
I have a weird I have a weird love for Valerian. My only problem with Valerian is that the entire movie has the same tone. There's yeah. no escalation of anything. Okay. So it's like watching a two hour cutscene, but it's such a beautiful cutscene. It's really <laughs> pretty. My wife's like my wife's like, why do you seem upset with this movie? I'm like, okay, you remember uh, you remember Cowboy Bebop? Okay, this guy's supposed to be Spike. And yes. he's not. <laughs> it's, such, it's such a bummer because like you watch that movie and everything that's great about Luke Besson's visual palette is on screen and he made it for next to nothing in comparison to what it would have cost over here, even though it costs a lot. And you take individual bits from that movie and show them to someone. It's kind of like the matrix sequels. It's like, I'm going to describe a sequence from this movie to you and you're going to go, that must be in the best sci-fi movie ever made. And the problem is it's a lot of good ideas with no connective tissue. Yep. That's his problem. And I think he has a I think he had an issue with casting in that movie because I think the 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 girl was the problem too. I can't remember her name. Yeah, and not only were both of them a problem, you couldn't believe anything about about any of their relationship. And that didn't work. And it's a bummer because the movie he built around them is amazing. Yep. Um Valerian's a cool story and they just nah, it sucked. I was I was really upset with that one. It's a bummer too, because I I bought it because I just am so obsessed with how it looked. Mm-hmm. It's not a good movie, but I haven't. It's like you said, you can like a movie, but that might be a cool. Have you guys rescued that one yet? No, not yet. That, that, might one, be- that one I'm that one I'm keeping in the that one I'm keeping in the cooker for right now. There's a bunch I have that I'm just sitting on that. I, I told Seth, like, we're not going to do this, this, this or this one, because I know something's going to come around like for Valerian. It was going to be. I figured we'd do Valerian right around when Cowboy Bebop, the TV show, comes yeah. out because I think those two kind of match up very well. And he's like, "Yeah, sure." It's like I did Doom right around when Doom Eternal came out because I figure that's a good time to do it. And then my audio got messed up, so now I have to re-record it. Thanks a lot, Discord. Hey, good news is your audio after about the ten-minute mark has been perfect on this. I was worried a bit for that's why I just stopped. But I think <laughs> it's sounding great. It's not on you. I think it's just the connection. But um, either way, so I wanted to go back to a point you made that got us here because I was waiting for a place to bring it in, but I think it's a good one. You said for actors, directors, editors, anyone trying to get into film, you should never look at the best thing that somebody's done and only consume that. Because you won't know how you get there from there. And there's a couple of stories that I always like to remind people of that might not know. Is that, like, The Lord of the Rings, right? Undisputed, three great freaking films. Mm -hmm. They won awards. They're wonderful. Peter Jackson. Everyone loves Peter Jackson, even though he's had some missteps and stuff. Peter Jackson and the people who did the special effects for The Lord of the Rings were four guys hanging out in New Zealand making really, really low-budget horror movies in the 80s. And it's something to remind people, like if you want to know, and what's cool is you can see their visual stylings. You can see things that they were learning back in the eighties in the Lord of the Rings. That's the thing about being a filmmaker and being, being, being any part of the, uh, of, of making a film is you figure out what you are while making films. That's why making anything, even if it's a no a low budget, no budget movie, you're gonna figure out what kind of director you are, what kind of editor you are, what kind of scriptwriter you are, what kind of actor you like I know I play the smarmy asshole probably the best of anyone I know. So I keep getting cast as that. And you know, everyone wants to say typecasting is a bad thing. Well if you're good enough at something that that's all that they want you to play and you keep getting work, what's the problem with keep getting work? That's right. the point of, of this industry. You might never win an award but you're going to be able to do something that you love doing and you're good at until, you know, until, until you pass on or until you're like, oh, wow, I have a lot of money. I'm just going to stop. And, you know, that's the objective of being a filmmaker is finding something that you're good at, knowing who you are, being able to self-identify where your strengths are and where your weaknesses lie and being able to either improve, fix, or avoid and the only way you're going to do that is if you, you know, that's, oh, I really like the way Sam Mendez makes movies. Okay, watch all of Sam Mendez's movies. Yes. Not every movie that Sam Mendez does is a block. You know, Spectre is a terrible movie. It's shot well, which is a Sam Mendez specialty. It's a well-produced can... film. Yep. Outside of that, oof. Man, that movie upsets me. 
But I mean, uh, if you want to see that man, if you want to see someone, oh, I think I can make movies like Sam Mendes. Okay, then watch all of his movies. Don't just watch 1917. Watch Skyfall. Watch 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 Spectre. Watch everything he's done. And I promise you, you're going to be like, oh wow, this guy's this guy actually evolved. And it wasn't until really, it wasn't until Skyfall that this this perfect cinematography really hit the right note. And that's yeah. when you can feel that Sam, uh, that's when you can see Sam Mendes go from this evolution of, I know how to make a good movie to, I know how to not only make a good movie, but shoot a good movie. And he works with the best cinematographer in the game right now. And that is how, that's how it works. I mean, but again, you have to make movies. You have to take a chance, take a risk, make a movie. You don't have to quit your job and move to Hollywood to make movies anymore. You just have to find some buddies who know how to make movies, who who have a passion for it, and then, hey, man, we're going to make a movie for the 72-hour film fest in Philadelphia. You in? Yes. That's it. Just start saying yes to things like that, putting yourself out there for, for stuff like that, and that's that's pretty much the secret to, to doing anything in this industry. Even if you don't get paid for it, it's it's nice to me. You know, I, I worked a high-stress job before they, they let me go, and man, when I would be able to go make films and then come back, I felt so refreshed. It was like I was just... It was like I was on vacation, even though it was I was only gone for the weekend. And it's because right. I was able to do something that I felt love and passion for. And that's the same thing with the film rescue show. It's it's love and passion. That's what we care about is is you know, we're we we're not trying to sound like pretentious douchebags who know how to make Hollywood better. We're just a bunch of friends thinking that we have some cool shit that we could do at this movie because Hollywood's given us a good base for it. And so let's let's talk about it. Let's see if you know, what if we did this? What if instead it was this? And that's that's all it is. It's just a bunch of do. I mean, don't, well, there's a cup. Don't watch. Don't listen to Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman because those go a little. Uh, those get into a little bad, bad direction. But <laughs> the rest of them are positive, fun times. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you know, and the other thing to remind people, right, is that how much out there. Right. We talk about Sam Mendes. We talk about Peter Jackson. We talk about Steven Spielberg, James Cameron. These guys are all well known for being good filmmakers and being people that people genuinely like to work with, too. There's far less people you hear about these days that fall into the Stanley Kubrick camp of, yeah, they were brilliant filmmakers, but everyone that worked for them hated it and was, you know, worse off because of it. And, and that's I heard an interesting story that even though the guy is kind of a jerk in in public and kind of like a dude bro like huh, about his movies and he hasn't made the greatest films in the world. Michael Bay keeps yeah, getting work yeah. because he's very well respected from the unions because yeah. his films, I guess, are very well run sets. I guess the guy is actually quite good at getting he's a stickler from what I heard. He is. He, yeah. he will get on you if you fuck up his stuff. And the thing is, is people people like working for him, even though what are they making? The end yeah. product is not something that I would be proud of to say that I worked on, although his movies always look pretty damn cool, but people really like the job. So like, you know, and, and I guess a lot of people learn and get better by working with him. That's part of the reason why Spielberg hooked up with being an executive producer is this guy knows how to deliver a movie mm -hmm. that's going to make money and that people aren't angry about. And he, you know, employs a lot of people. And so it's, it's, you don't have to be the, you know, the, the next Steven Spielberg or the next Roger Deakins or anything to what you do, you just got to get out there and do the work and, and be ambitious. And I mean, James Cameron made freaking Piranha 2 for Christ's sakes for Roger Corman. You know, <laughs> Joe Dante, Joe Dante cut his teeth on Roger Corman films. Yep. You know, Roger Corman made films for 60, 70 years that were terrible. And he's Absolutely. one of the most well-respected horror directors and producers in cinema history. And that's you know? the thing. The big thing, the big thing with with Hollywood, and the reason why Michael Bay will continue to get work is because you say, "Hey, Michael, I got a hundred million dollars for this movie. What are you going to do with it?" And he'll give you what he's going to do with it, and then he'll come back like, "Hey, by the way, here's five hundred million dollars that I just made for you. You're going to continue to get work." And that's why Michael Bay does work is because he never goes over budget. His sets yes. are pristine. He always releases a film on time. They always make money. Yep, he does not release box office bombs. I don't and know how, 
and when everyone he does, knows that they're not good. I don't get it, but it. What I think is great is when he does release a bomb or a movie that doesn't work well. It's always a passion project that he makes with the deal he made for a previous movie. Like yep. the reason Pain and Gain exists is because he signed on to do the fourth Transformers movie. That's exactly. why there's actor carryover. And Pain and Gain is arguably. Michael Bay has never made a great film, but Pain like and Gain is a fun friggin' movie. That I don't know like where that, that came from. That is a weird. That movie goes weird places, and then it's revealed that it's true, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Yep. The movie was yep. weird. I love, I love that a lot of that movie. <laughs> I don't know like why. Bad Boys. Look at Bad Boys. Yeah. Bad Boys one and two. You know, good movies. Then they take this big long gap. I don't even think he made Bad Boys for Life, and it still made bank at the box office because he created something that was entertaining. And you don't have to be good; you just have to be entertaining. And that's one thing that I guess Michael Bay does better is he knows how to entertain the people who just want to see stuff blow up, and he does exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, he had nothing to do with Bad Boys for Life. Um, that was uh, what's his oh, name who had written that and was going to direct it. The guy that made Narc. I, I love him. He makes he made um he made the gray. I can just never remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but uh, they ended up for some reason dropping him. He has the story credit, but some new coming um foreign directors made it. Yeah, and right. They, I thought they were Indian. Yeah, I thought they were Indian yeah, directors. Nailed it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, and I need to because I keep hearing it. it's it's the best one. I'm like that's not saying much, but sure, very- I'm in. It does a very good impression of a good Michael Bay film. That's that's and, and I mean that in the best way. It learned from the Fast and the Furious franchise about, yes. but the Fast and the Furious franchise just watched Bad Boys Two and went, oh right, we can we do that better. <laughs> you know, we can do that. James Wan just went, I can do that. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna do that real quick. Hold on. There you go. I'm done. <laughs> Of James Wan. What have you done so far? I made Saw and The Conjuring. Well, um, you just made us a lot of money. You want to make a Fast and the Furious movie and be guaranteed a new mansion? Sure. Yeah, sure. And he nailed it. And then they're like, hey, guess guess what? The DC movies suck. You want to make an Aquaman movie? And he's sure. like, as long as you drop peyote and do it. <laughs> Hold on. I got to get really fucking high. There's no drug test on this, is there? No. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Uh- I wrote the script. Blew my mind that any studio okayed any of that because it is it is just a live action three hundred million dollar Power Rangers movie, and I'm yeah. so there for it. I loved it. I loved it. I you know the 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 dialogue was was bad, it's so but serious. But it but it knew it, and that's what I loved about it. Is it instead you know what of else? you know what else made that Aquaman movie good? What none of the villains died in it. Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I gotta say, you know, J- James Wan's cash cow in giving Rob it's Robert Wilson, right, a new yeah. career because he's in everything. Oh, Patrick, he, Wilson. Patrick, yeah, Patrick Wilson, yeah, Robert Wilson is someone else, and then and then there's Robert Smith, which would just be hilarious if he <laughs> shut up in one of these movies. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Patrick Wilson, he, him, and um, uh, Green Goblin there. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, did we just blank on one of the biggest actors of all time? Yeah, why should I never remember his name? I can't think of it now. Passion of the Christ, come on. Why am I blanking? I can't think of it now. He's amazing. Come on. I can't. No, not Passion of the Christ, Laugh Temptation of Christ. I'm keeping this in here because it makes us both seem stupid. It does, Um, because we're both both kind of dumb. Uh, Willem Dafoe. There we go. Willem, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. Why couldn't I think of that name? Willem Dafoe and Patrick Wilson are giving the most self-serious um, performances in this film. Well, CG influenced floating around underwater with freaking multicolored fish flying around them. And yeah. I am so there for it. Well, it's that movie that made me when I went into Sonic the Hedgehog with very low expectations, because let's be honest, Sonic in general hasn't been great for a while. Besides Sonic Forces was was the Sonic Sonic Mania was good. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have low expectations with this man. James Marsden acts the crap out of having to talk to nothing in this film. That's awesome. I I'm can't wait. I'm really to see. impressed. <clears throat> 
It's nuts. James James Wan is a James Wan is a fascinating person, and his um his writing partner there, uh, the guy that made um Upgrade and um, oh my god, I just watched the new that. Invisible Man. Did you watch oh. the new Invisible Man? I after watching Upgrade, I now have to watch Invisible Man. Holy this guy. crap! And again, I'm looking at I for some reason I'm usually good at pulling names out of my ass, particularly directors, and I'm having a hard time with it today. Um, but uh, hell's his name? He was the guy. He was the main character in Saul. Saul. Yeah, he made he the was first also the main character. Three? He was the guy. Yeah, he, he was the guy stuck in the room. Um, with uh, like with Robin. Is it like Lee? Oh yeah, Lay Lay um Lay Winnell. There we go. Yeah. Um, his his if you loved Upgrade, which anyone listening to this, I hope you've seen Upgrade because Upgrade please watch Upgrade. It falls out insane. Um, and cost eight million dollars. <laughs> Still can't. Like I'm like this budget, and then I looked. I'm like eight million dollars. That's it. How? <laughs> the Invisible Man cost eight million. And the movie made $110 million in like six days. Sure, and then the too. pandemic hit. So they were like, well, we might as well just release it to home release. Yep. <laughs> we already That's made what Sonic did too. Budget. Sonic's like, we made back our budget already. Release it on video now. So that way people buy it more. God, I can't wait for you to see The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man is in fucking tense. Can't wait to watch it. And it's so good. I love Elizabeth Moss, so I was in anyway. Yep, she. Let's just say you said you know Sonic James Marsden having to act without something there. They frame the sequences in this movie as if the camera is set up for someone else to be in the shot that isn't there, even in scenes when they're not, just to make you uncomfortable. It's so messed up. <laughs> I cannot wait. So, so you never know when anybody's safe. Like it's just it's so it's so wrong. Everything about it is just so wrong. And it also um it easily could exist in the same near future universe as upgrade, which I thought was really cool. He's definitely created a future tech, like a horror future tech, like near future thing, visual style with what he's doing. Um it kind of is similar to the world that AI existed in. Yes. You know, that it's not far enough along in the future for everything to look different, but you know, weird things around your house and every day are like just Elon Musk enough. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I love that side. I love that rational cyberpunk look that has yeah. been coming out recently and upgrade upgrade hit it so perfectly. And I'm like, yeah, this is so good and actually kind of believable and almost everything that's here, even the AI stuff. I don't know about the walking stuff, but I don't care about that because this is cool. But it's just like when you can execute on so much that seems like practical and realistic. That's oh, oh man, Upgrade was such a you need, everyone needs to go watch Upgrade. And Probably that guy's, one of the best movies I've watched. That guy's performance when I found out that that wasn't CG augmented, like they literally just had like a GoPro attached to him to do those scenes. That's crazy. The guy was doing the my head and body are moving different from each other. How do you perform that? It's impossible. Like, I have no idea how this guy did that. That dude killed it. That that entire. I mean, and he's talking to this voice that was definitely added later. So he's literally acting by himself on a set, having this conversation with a voice that's not there, which is very difficult to do. <laughs> I love this new this new theme that's come in horror films, particularly, and I call both of these movies horror movies, even though both the invisible man and upgrade are kind of they're in their horror movies in the way that like Terminator was a horror movie. Yeah. You know, like a dark fantasy. It's like Diablo yeah. where the end yeah. is still not a good ending. It's just an ending. Right. But you know, I, I love like the Blumhouse approach to things. It's like the anti Disney approach yeah. where the Disney approach is like, and again, I think they both need to exist, but I'd love to see a Blumhouse produced Marvel film. Oh, man, no, I don't think I see. I, I think it has to be DC. I well, don't think not, Marvel has anything that's produced, and it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. I just like that approach to production because I was reading Jamie Lee Curtis talking about the Halloween films they just made mm -hmm. and how a Halloween. set 
She goes, a Blumhouse set reminded me of working on the original Halloween with John Carpenter. She said, because John Carpenter, even though, and she worked with him again later, even though he became a big name in horror, he ran his sets like independent films. And Blumhouse does the same thing. We don't get a trailer. We have to like stay in someone's couch. You know what I mean? There's not catering. Like they buy us subs. You know what I mean? Like, and so she said, and because of that, your whole performance, everything you're there to do ends up on screen instead of the alternate, you know? And it's that, that's really interesting to me. Um, And that's why I I would imagine that like a Taika Waititi run Thor set is far different, you know, outside of like, you know, the Disney trailers and stuff showing up, you know, is is tell by the way the performances are coming through. For me, you just, and, and, but for me with Disney and with Marvel, I'm just waiting. You know, Taika Waititi is so unique and individualistic, and his approach is so great. I'm just waiting for for the moment where Disney screws up that relationship, and then Taika's gone. I just waiting they, for it to happen. I thought it was going to happen with um, Jojo Rabbit. They, yep. I don't know if you knew they they were scared. Like there was, there was a bunch of stuff in the background when, cause he, he did that on his own with, you know, a mm-hmm. different production company and everything. And they were terrified of it. Yeah. I heard about that. I heard that they were, I was like, Oh, is this it? Are we done? Is Taika done? Cause he wants to do his own thing. And they let him do Thor four. I'm like, all right, well let's see if Thor four actually happens because I mean, uh, Dr. Strange too. Scott, I think the problem is, is that Scott was like, okay, I'll do one movie for you guys. But I think for him, he wanted Doctor Strange 2 to be more of what he wanted to do. I know he wanted to take it down a darker path, and that's not what Disney wants. And that is what's going to cripple the Marvel movies is, is that they don't want that darkness in their films so much. you know. And if anyone wants to say that Thanos was dark, Thanos was fine. But the problem is, is he wasn't even Thanos. He was a new version of himself that appreciated yep. balance. No, Thanos is a crazy person who just wants to fucking kill everyone. That's yep. actually what Thanos is. He's trying to appease something that he doesn't even know exists called death. There is literally a person in the Marvel Universe called Lady Death, and he yep. wants to marry her. So he's murdering for her. He doesn't even know she exists. I That's think Thanos. Only, I think the only director that will ever be able to let Marvel let him go fully dark is um, Gunn. And him coming back is the best thing that ever happened for a, for a PR for Disney and that Marvel thing because they fucked that up royally. And that was so and, dumb. I'm not but, a big fan of Guardians Volume Two for my own I, reasons. I and am, I, but I get it. I am, but I get it. It's it's cool. Uh, Guardians Volume Two is very personal for me, and that I I I talked to so many people that just the movie did nothing for them, and I was a blubbering screwed up mess for the yeah. entire goddamn movie. <laughs> I just I was like, I, oh, it's a fun movie. I was like, oh, this is fun. That's it. it and I had nothing else from it. <laughs> but, but like, you know, I, I, I want to see what he does with the Suicide Squad because I'm kind of I, I feel like DC has learned their lesson. Keep your goddamn executive idiot hands out of fucking film. Let the directors make their fucking film. You just had three movies that should have been good strike out because you don't know how to keep your hands out of them. And then you had. Joss Whedon come in and do whatever he did to Justice League, which made it look weird. And oh, the war, I, I don't even know if the Snyder Cut's going to be good. I don't care. I know it's better than whatever the fuck we got. That's yeah. it. Even yep. if it's a mild improvement, I know it's better than whatever the hell abomination we got. But then they keep their hands out of it. And then they make Wonder Woman. They make Aquaman. And then they make their best movie, which is Shazam. Yes, I was going to say Shazam is Shazam is basically a kids movie and it's three times darker than anything Marvel has put out, including Endgame. And my favorite thing is everyone's like, oh, they just copied Marvel. I'm like, you never even read Shazam. No, nope. that is Shazam. They literally just did Shazam. That's it. That is exactly how it is. It is light and dark all at the same time. That is exactly Shazam's tone. Let me tell you another perfect example of bringing someone from the horror universe in to make your movie, because that that guy had done the the I think it was the Ouija prequel, yes, and he did a movie called Lights Out, which I love, even though it has a very very not comfortable end. The where have you seen Lights Out? 
I have. I like that. Light, I loved Lights Out, except from the the weird ending thing that it was. I'm just kind of like, really, like a character you learned from this that you just have to die. Like, oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not sure that's what the rest of the movie was trying to tell me. <laughs> that's pretty much how Drag Me to Hell was. It's like she's yeah. trying to fight her fate, fight, fate, fight, fate. And then at the end, it's like, all right, well, I just wasted an hour and a half watching her fight this and she still dies. This is why I hate horror movies, because this bullshit happens too often at the end. But Drag Me to Hell, is it, it's Sam Raimi. And that's what I love is that the movie was fully tongue in cheek about that the whole time. So yeah. with Drag Me to Hell, I bought it a bit more because Drag Me to Hell is both terrifying and hilarious all at the same time. It is. It is both. But Light, Lights Out was just such a balls out good horror movie that I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of gross. Like the yeah. implication of what it's saying is like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh but man did he nail it with Shazam and and Shazam also perfectly complete with the old new line logo coming up in the beginning perfectly yep. fits in with like they could have made that movie a, a month after the first Ninja Turtles movie came out and it would have come out the same way Best you know part about that movie again um, villain did get killed again yep, correct. another villain not dead Marvel take notes please for the love of God stop killing your villains please. You forget about team-ups and events and crises. These well, things exist. Someone told me, you know, the, the stupidest thing they did in The Dark Knight was not kill the Joker. And I said, no, you're dumb. Oh. I said, because Heath Ledger might be dead, but you cannot have a Batman universe without the knowledge that the Joker is out there somewhere. Even if he's just locked up in Arkham. I, you know, they really missed an opportunity in, in um, uh, Dark Knight Rises to just have, like, a shadow silhouette when they when they unleashed everyone of like the Joker cackle down an alleyway. Just a so reminder, think, he's there. Yeah, and I know? think it's just because the original concept that I heard for The Dark Knight Rises was Joker was back. Like they were going to do Joker, Joker's not done. And then have it be, you know, Bane and someone else. And I was like, that's a good idea because Bane is not a leader. He is definitely nope. not that guy. When it comes to doing what happened in that movie it that is definitely a joker move but like you can you can kill joker the arkham games prove that you can kill joker but the difference is 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 that arkham knight he's not alive like the first thing you do in arkham knight is you uh you cremate joker but at some point batman is hit with this fear toxin and then for the rest of the game the joker is fucking with you in this is what i'm talking about right like there's 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 a way to handle it and that's that's why i've never been able to fully love even though i i love a lot of it the tim burton batman movie and i say any other movie that kills the villain or makes the villain be the cause of batman's stress that's a problem right daredevil the ben affleck daredevil movie had to make the kingpin be the guy that killed daredevil's parents and turned him into daredevil it's like no i don't fucking need that like, there's enough about these characters that's good in their own right where we don't need this extra thing. Exactly. I, I'm not a big fan of Tim Burton's Batmans either. Uh, his his tone is confusing. He doesn't know if he wants to be light or dark. And uh, anyone who thinks that Jack Nicholson was a good Joker when he was supposed to be doing the homage to Frank Miller's Batman uh, didn't read Frank Miller's Batman. That, Bat- that, that Joker right. is terrible. Right. That Joker Jack is Nicholson. terrible. Jack Nicholson is great in the movie, but he's not the Joker. When you are a great actor, you can elevate a role. That is what Jack Nicholson did. But the role itself is awful. And that movie is not as good as people want to make it out to be. But I'm not, I don't, I don't know. Some people get blinded by the fact that a lot of people like something. So they're like, yeah, I like it too. And I'm like, no, you got to look at it objectively. And that Batman movie sucks. There's, there's a lot of fun to be had in it, but it's, it's, you know, and also it is the reason we got Batman, the animated series, which is one of the best Batman things that there's ever been to the best Batman, which is Kevin Conroy and the best Joker, which is Mark Hamill. Yeah. Fucking lootly. They've missed an opportunity to have Mark Hamill actually be Joker in something. It, It would just be awesome. He was great. Yeah, he was great. He was trickster in the flash. Because that's what yes, he, was he was in the original, and that was cool. But he had kind of a Joker voice. So I'm like, man, it'd just be cool if you were Joker again. That'd be so awesome. Um, and then, of course, he's he's Joker in the Arkham games, and he is, oh, God. There, those, there Arkham, is, those Arkham games have no right to be good, and they're amazing. 
Uh, absolutely amazing. Even even the Arkham Knight, which my favorite part about the Arkham Knight is I'm very good with voice actors and picking them out. The Arkham Knight, they for years were like, no, it's not Jason Todd, I swear. But there was a DLC that came with Arkham Knight called the Red Hood, which yep. if you know anything about Batman is Jason Todd. It's voiced by Troy Baker. And if you are good enough and you listen to the Arkham Knight, it's Troy Baker. And so you're like, nice. Um, so it's definitely Jason Todd. Like I looked at my wife because I went, that's Troy Baker. No, oh, so Troy Baker's Jason Todd. Cool, 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 cool. And then I started playing it and I heard him talking like, wait a minute, that's fucking Troy Baker. I thought they said Arkham Knight wasn't Jason Todd, and then it's revealed that it's Jason Todd. I'm like, I fucking knew it. I was like, at least get a different voice actor or something, man. I love it. <sighs> oh man, well. I, I am realizing we've been talking for more than an hour, which is how these things go with me. And so one, I'd like to say we're definitely going to have to do another one of these because you're a blast to talk to. And two, I unfortunately have to get back to work. So I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find you on the web internets. Yes. Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, Mike Spielman, S P I E L M A N V A. That's V as in Victor, A as in Apple. And I'm also on Twitch. Uh, I stream periodically on there once I fix everything. Twitch.tv slash zero man spelled out 816 is the numbers. So Z E R O M A N and then the numbers 816. Come and hang out with me and let's have some fun together. Awesome. And you're also on the Film Rescue Show. And I'm on the Film Rescue Show, I guess, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Mike, dude, um, I'm we're always psyched to make friends on the internet. And just like I've said to Seth, I, I hope to meet you and hang out someday. And yes. thank you for all the encouraging words and, and vice versa so far up to this point. And it's been a blast shooting the shit with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you and meet you when this is all over. And uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, dude.